0: Hey everybody, welcome back to What Happened to You. Today I'm joined by Anna Stoddard, the author of In Plain Sight, which is a book that she wrote about her own What Happened to You experience, which we're going to hear all about today. And uh, I'm really excited to have her on. Anna, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I came across one of your videos, uh, a listener of the podcast, Ashley Siter Amora, tagged me in your video. And, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the way that you were speaking about your experience was uh, just perfect for the podcast. And um, yeah, so thank you to Ashley and thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, thank you, Ashley. And thank you, Sebastian. I'm, I'm so excited to be here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. What happened to you?
1: So... Um the year was 2010. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, um, in the summer of 2010, I was 19 years old and I was working as a door-to-door salesperson and, um, my manager and I started a friendship that kind of became a little bit of a like flirtation, I guess. Um, And, uh, he apparently took that as more than what, um, it was intended to be. And he basically held me against my will for six weeks and, um, forced himself on me and, um, got me pregnant (laughs) and, uh, I ended up keeping my son, um, and, uh, yeah, so that's the short version. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the abridged,
1: that's the abridged the... version. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want the details? Do you want the dirty details? Um...
0: <laughs> totally, yeah. So when you say that he, like, how did, how did that all begin? After the flirting started, what led up to him holding you against your will?
1: Oh, so I was living with my boyfriend at the time and um, I was having some problems with my boyfriend and I went and hung out with my manager a lot. And then one night we were at a pool and drinking and he, uh, he kind of like pulled me over to him and I was tipsy and I was just like, I, I, I kind of just wanted that physical touch or whatever, but like nothing more than that. So I didn't exactly pull away. Um, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I, I saw his, his boxers on the other side of the hot tub that I, I realized what was going on. Um, and so like, I, I immediately went home, felt super guilty, felt like I was cheating on my boyfriend, um, which I wasn't but at the time, that's how it felt. And, um, the next day I had to go to work. I had to face him and he acted like nothing had happened. Mm -hmm. Um, and he told me, Hey, we're going to go and work out of town for a couple of days. And I'm like, excuse me. And he said, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna go and work out of town, um, about two hours away. Um, my mom lives in that, in that city. And so we'll just stay with her while we're out there. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah. and, like I don't want to go with you. And he was 38 years old. So like Whoa. he was twice my age and
0: yeah.
1: I was a little weirded out, but like I, so I told him, I was like, I'm going to go talk to Mr. Boss man who Mr. Bossman happened to be his cousin. Um, is that actually thing.
0: his name? Or is that like the, it, was he like a boss, his, your manager's boss?
1: My, so My manager was the cousin of the owner of the company. Got it. So uh, the owner of the company, I call boss man. um, (laughs) Got it. And uh, I renamed my manager, Rob. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not his actual name, but when I refer to him, because it'll just make make it easier. But so I named him Rob because he kind of robbed me of the rest of my childhood. So got it. I've actually never told anybody that, but that's where that name came from. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's fitting. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: So I tell Rob, I'm going to go talk to boss man. And he's like, actually boss man doesn't want you working with us anymore. And I convinced him to let you stay with the company. But he told me that I had to take you out of town and he didn't want to see you. And I'm like, interesting. Yeah. So the thing is is I had some childhood trauma on top of all this. Sure. Um
0: don't we all. <laughs> I, yeah.
1: So um, because of that I am a very emotional person and I wear my emotions on my sleeve and it often gets me in trouble. Mm. And so
0: and what was that childhood trauma? And no pressure to talk about it if you don't want to.
1: Oh, it's it's in the book too. Um, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so my older sister was physically abusive and my mother was emotionally abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister would beat on me and my brother basically my entire childhood. We were latchkey kids. And so my mom worked. Um, it's where um, children who come home it's, it actually doesn't happen a lot anymore. But children who uh, who come home to no parents at home—they have a key. They're a latchkey kid. Got it. Um, you come home, your parents aren't there. You take care of yourself until your parent comes home. Mm-hmm. And so my mom worked late hours, and my sister would often take on the role of the boss. And her idea of being the boss was physically restraining my brother and I, and and physically beating us. Um, Bonk, and boy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and my mom would, my mom would never like blame my sister for anything that happened. It was always my fault. Like, how dare you upset your sister like that? How dare you call me at work because of something that's happening at home? Mm -hmm. Um, but my sister never got in trouble for beating me. And I, the beatings were so bad that when I was in middle school, the nurses at the school were taking photos of the bruises on my body because I was constantly injured. And so that kind of caused a break in my psyche, I guess.
0: Sure.
1: Um, And so I became a fawn, I think is the the thing that they call it, um, where I'm overly trying to keep people happy. Like I, I do whatever it takes to make them happy, and just just go with it because if if I don't, there's that fear that I'm going to get my ass kicked.
0: Right there with you. I'm very <laughs> much a fawn. I don't know what you call a group of fawns, but we are uh, we're two of them for sure. <laughs>
1: yeah. we'll get back to that. We're gonna have to we're gonna <laughs> figure out what a group of fawn is. It fawn or fawns?
0: Maybe a, a well, it's like a pack of it's deer. A pack. So maybe a flock of fawns. I don't know,
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> but love I know it. what
0: you mean. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean.
1: Love it. Um, so yeah, when Rob told me all of this, it triggered that whole okay, Mr. Bossman doesn't like me, and I can't get Mr. Bossman mad at me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just gonna go and those 3 days were fine we worked we we did what we had to rob's family was really sweet actually so we get through those 3 days i'm like in my car ready to go and i'm like all right let's go back home mm-hmm. and um rob tells me oh you can uh you can just go straight over to i think i named him keith in the book keith
0: okay keith
1: keith who is the other cousin of rob who also works for the company of bossman.
0: Got it.
1: And I was like, okay, I can drop you off at, at Keith's. No big deal. And he goes, "No, no, no, you're coming with." I'm like, "No, I'll drop you off. Like I'm fine going home. Like I'm ready. I'm ready to go home to my boyfriend." It's right. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "No, you're you're breaking up with him and if you don't then you're gonna lose your job because the only way you're keeping this job is if you're my girlfriend. Whoa! And like, my head starts spinning, and I I needed this job <laughs> because I was trying to get an apartment with my dad, and uh, my dad told me I needed to keep this job in order for us to be able to afford the apartment, and I had like four and a half more weeks before we were moving into this apartment. Mm -hmm. So I had to keep this job So head is reeling. I'm not really sure like what's going on. And I'm like, no, I want to talk to boss man. And he goes, all right, I'll talk to him. If you're not going to be my girlfriend, you're going to lose your job. He, uh, he pulls out his phone and I can hear boss man on the other side and Rob goes, Hey, Uh, I just wanted to, to call you and talk to you about Anna and I hear boss man. Yeah. How's it going? And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I'll do it. Like, I'm like freaking out at this point. I have no idea what else to do. And I'm like, okay, fine. And so he like tells boss man, yeah, she's doing great. She got another sale today. And so I'm reeling, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I can't drive. So I, I have Rob drive. He drives me to my boyfriend's house to collect all my stuff. And I'm just sobbing. And I, I go in and I'm kind of like hoping that my boyfriend said something, like he was going to stop me. And I, I basically went in there and I started getting my stuff. And he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be with you. I got to go. And he just kind of like watched me get my stuff. And I'm like, thanks a lot, Prince Charming. <laughs> um, <laughs> so great.
0: Oh, that's a wild uh, situation.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I gather all my stuff. I get it in my car. And we go over to Keith's hotel room because he lives in a hotel. And then... I kind of just like go with the flow. I work, whatever. And then Rob steals my phone and he keeps my car keys. He won't let me go anywhere unless he's nearby. We stop at a gas station and I have to go to the bathroom and he has to stand right outside the bathroom door. He wouldn't let me call anybody, but he made sure my phone was on so that if my dad or my best friend called, he would put my phone on speaker. He'd allow me to talk to them on speaker. But he watched me talk and then he would send them text messages periodically, whatever. So nobody knew that I was in trouble. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And um, he kept me compliant by keeping me inebriated. I wasn't allowed to have anything to drink unless it had vodka in it. Morning to night, um, we stopped working for the company and started painting sidewalks. Um, Like the little number blocks on the sidewalks outside of houses, Mm -hmm. we were painting those for people and and making the money. And he had me working from about nine o'clock in the morning until the sun went down again. He wouldn't let me have anything to drink unless it had alcohol in it. I took medication that like knocked me out at night and he would make sure to watch me take those pills because he knew that within 30 minutes I would be out. So I, I, I couldn't get him to let me have my keys back. I couldn't call anybody. And he would take advantage of me nearly every day. And it got to the point where it just hurt less to not fight. Like if I just sure. let it happen, it'll be fine. But then one day my birth control goes missing. And I'm like, where is it? And he's like, you don't need that. I want a baby. I was like, good for you. Well, I don't. Thank <laughs> <laughs> think, you know, I'm 19. I'm not ready for a kid. And uh, so I, I faked a period. He would always get me these like cherry Slurpees. And he'd put vodka in the cherry Slurpee. And um, I would like put the tampons in to try and get them read in case he ever did, like, Smart. look in the trash. Yeah. But, you know, that only lasted three days before he uh, he wanted to get laid. And mm-hmm. so, um, and that's when I really tried to fight and things got a little bit more intense. Bruises around my body, just the worst of it. And um, mm-hmm. then... One day I, I woke up just like drenched in blood and I was like, oh, it's going to be one of those periods. Like my period had actually started like, oh, was just a massacre going on in my, my pants. No big deal. Yeah. I wasn't feeling good, but Rob didn't care. He was going to make me work. He always told me if you want to eat, you have to work. That was his thing is Mm -hmm. you have to, you have to earn any food. It's Phoenix, Arizona. It is 120 degrees outside. And he's got me going door to door. Drunk. Drunk. And
0: yeah.
1: um, and 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 I was just that day, I was not feeling good. And I was about to pass out. Like I I almost passed out in somebody's lawn. And uh Rob got pissed off. And he was going to finish that street. And so he come, I go into the car and I don't know how long I was in there, but I like blacked out. I was half aware, but I couldn't like, I couldn't open my eyes to see what was going on, but like I could hear bits and pieces. And like, I, I remember him coming and getting in the car and him telling me to, to sit up and, and put my seatbelt on. We're going to go. And I didn't respond. Like I couldn't move my body. Like I couldn't open my eyes. And he basically just got pissed off and started driving with me, like limp over the dashboard, no seatbelt or anything. The next thing I remember, um, he was carrying me and I heard his aunt's voice asking what happened And then her saying no you need to take her to the hospital. And then I don't remember anything else after that I remember waking up in a hospital. Turns out I was having a miscarriage. They believe Um, they came in and he, he told me the doctor told me that in order to be considered a pregnancy your HCG levels or your pregnancy levels needed to be a five. Mine were a four. So they believed that if it was a miscarriage, it was just very early on, but that's why I was bleeding so much. Mm-hmm. And Rob was in the corner the entire time. Not once did the hospital staff ask me <laughs> if I was okay. Not 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 if I was okay, but they didn't ask me if I was safe. They never asked him to leave the room. They probably thought he was my dad.
0: Probably, yeah,
1: I just I remember the fury on Rob's face when they mentioned that it could be a miscarriage, like he was pissed. Mm. So they released me into his care. He was pissed because we missed half a day of working. Sure. Yeah. Right. It's all my fault. So the next day he made me work again. I'm sitting there. I'm still bleeding. You know, I'm, I'm still like dying. Nope. He still wants me to work. Then. Sorry, I'm jumping all over the place. This no just problem. how things come to me. Absolutely. Um, he had a friend from high school that he hadn't seen in a while. And he was like, we're going to go and, and, and pick up my friend. who's like an hour away from us. And I'm like, sure, whatever. I don't care. That means I don't have to work. Cool. Mm-hmm. And so I hadn't eaten anything that day. And he got me cherry Slurpee. And just like filled it with vodka. And I was like, I don't want any. And he goes, you either drink it with the vodka or you don't. And I'm like, fine, whatever. (laughs) So I like down it. So by the time we get to his friend's house, I'm pretty buzzed. His friend gets in the car and Rob tells me, all right, you're going to drive. I was like, "What? I can't. I don't feel like dying today Mm -hmm. so he says okay fine but you'll have to make it up to me I'm like all right fine whatever is this an 18 plus podcast
0: there's no language restrictions or anything you can say anything about what happened yeah
1: I've like been try- very careful about like what I'm saying to try and not I oh yo, you're really good. it's
0: it's part part of this is like part of the point of the podcast is to talk about like everything that actually happened and not feel the need to like not include yourself. certain details. <laughs> yeah, it's very much <laughs> open, yeah.
1: yeah. so he tells me, um fine, I'll drive, but you're gonna have to owe me. And I'm like, all right, whatever like and he goes, you have to give me roadhead. And I'm like, "Excuse me." And his buddy in the back seat is like, "Oh, come on, girl, take care of your man." Like, I won't watch. And I'm like, um, "Thank you, creeper." Like, no.
0: Yeah, who are you?
1: That was those were my choices. Was I could either drive drunk, um, or I would be forced to give him head on the highway. So I'm like, those aren't really the greatest choice. I don't want either choice.
0: Yeah, tough options
1: he had my phone like yeah. I was I didn't even know where we were and so I did it and I I found a peppermint in the uh the center console and I was like I could just put this in my mouth and I wouldn't have to touch it um <laughs> so he goes <laughs> and he goes um what are you doing and I was like I heard it was a thing it was supposed to make it feel better for you I just want to make it feel good and he totally believed me and so I really did I I I gave him a blowjob with a freaking peppermint pushed up against him so that my tongue wouldn't touch nice and then yeah (laughs) it worked um yeah and his buddy is just in the background just laughing his ass off that's when i started just kind of like giving in cuz the sooner that the sooner that he he got what he wanted the sooner he'd be done the sooner he got over it and um his friends were creeps I'm
0: sure yeah. they were yeah yeah it was
1: <laughs> creeps and like
0: it sounds like a whole operation like oh gosh like-
1: yeah i it wasn't until after i i published my book That like, it even like became a possibility that there was something more going on that I wasn't aware of because Mm -hmm. people started asking me, if you were blackout drunk, drugged up, is it possible that any of his friends did something? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, I don't know about any of it. Yeah. If that is like, I don't have any recollection. The only, the only thing that I remember is the very first time I got drunk with Rob, it was with him and his cousin, Keith. And, um, I'm pretty sure they drugged my drink. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they took me back to Keith's hotel and, uh, then Rob leaves me there with him. Um, and, Keith was very handsy. Like he didn't do anything other than try and like snuggle. And and Rob tried to claim that he's just he's a very friendly guy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Classic. Yeah. Just um a
1: little too friendly. Yeah. A little too friendly. But like other than that, I don't I don't have any recollection of any of his friends like touching me, but like it's very possible. Mm -hmm. And like it's almost and, and and people have brought up that it was almost like. I was being groomed to be sex trafficked. Yeah. Like everything that was happening if if I hadn't gotten away when I did very likely would have led to that. So I don't know that for sure, but um yeah.
0: So how did you get to the point where you were able to escape?
1: The it was it was getting close to the time that my dad was ready to move into the apartment. I had decided that enough was enough and I needed to get away from Rob. So Rob had, I don't know how he found this house, but there was just one day, we're living at a house that he supposedly rented. I don't know when he had time to talk to somebody about renting this house. I'm pretty sure he was just squatting in a random empty house, but Mm -hmm. he, he brings me there. He gives me like a tour of it. And he starts talking about how our kids are going to live in this room. And this is our room. And I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. (laughs) no, like this dude is serious. Like he, he fully wants to impregnate me right now. And like, that was kind of, everything together. And I was like, you know what? No, I got to get away from this guy. And so I started to kind of like gain his trust by like giving in and pretending like I was in fact his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. I I started calling him babe and like trying to initiate stuff. Like I was trying to like get him to believe that he had me, Mm -hmm. you know, and it worked because I told him that I had to go help my dad move into his new apartment. And he goes, okay, fine. Just drop me off at Keith's and you have two hours and then you have to come back. And I was like, totally. Yeah. Yeah, No, I dropped him off and I zoomed to my dad's and he didn't know my dad's new address. He knew my dad's old address, but the apartment he didn't know. And I get to the apartment, and I I get inside. I slam the door behind me, and I fall to the ground, and I just start sobbing. My dad is like, "What's going on? What is wrong?" And like, I, I sat there and I told him the whole story.
0: So this has been like about four weeks.
1: It's about six weeks. Six weeks. About six weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah yeah, my dad felt really crappy because he felt like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been in that situation if I didn't feel the need to stay for the job.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, my dad asks if I want to go to the police, what I want to do. And I'm like, I don't, I just, I want to, I just want to forget it all. I just want to forget it all happened and change my freaking phone number. And, uh, and so we did, we changed my phone number immediately. I, I, Tried to go back to life as normal. I just wanted to forget it. And I didn't want to think about anything.
0: That's uh, all, all we want in <laughs> when we get out of those experiences. And while it's going on, it's like, all I right. want to do is not think about this anymore. And especially yes. when you're in an environment like that, where it's the only thing that you're experiencing in life.
1: Right. Yeah. But two weeks later, I found out I was pregnant.
0: <laughs> and this is how long after the miscarriage uh
1: about four weeks which is why they're so either i just had some major bleeding Mm -hmm. or um i was pregnant with twins and i potentially lost one and they believe that that's actually what was happening was that i was at the time pregnant with twins i lost one and that it was miscarriage, but like because of how far along I was, they they believed that, that that's what it was. Got it. So um, yeah, i uh, I went to the <laughs> went to my OB/GYN to get back on birth control, and so I like that's what my appointment was, and like they 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 have you pee in a cup every time. Mm-hmm. I was not fully prepared for my doctor to walk in, looking at her her little. Clipboard. Clipboard. <laughs> Let's try that again. He's not prepared for my doctor to walk in, looking down at her clipboard, and she goes, "Well, you're pregnant." And I'm like, "That's exactly how I found out I was pregnant." Well, you're pregnant, and I just break down, sobbing, and like she clearly felt bad about breaking it to me that way. <laughs> so I'm like, "I don't know what to do," and um, so she. Gets me to kind of calm down and then like gives me my options and everything and sets me up for an ultrasound and then sends me out to the receptionist and the receptionist goes, do you know what hospital you're wanting to give birth at? <laughs> 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 what the fuck? Like, why? <laughs> well, this is not the time. And I just start sobbing again. So then I... I had gone back to work for the company boss man had no idea what what happened said that he had never said any of that stuff and that he would love to have me on the team and
0: this uh, is after you you're back with that now yes wow
1: and so it was going to just be a temporary thing anyway until I found something else but like it was good money and so I was like all right cool my doctor told me that I couldn't keep doing that job because it was too hot outside. It was too stressful on my body. And because I was a, a contracted employee, they did not have to accommodate that. If they didn't have something else that I could do, sorry, you're out of luck. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I call boss man and I try to see if there's anything else that I could do in the company. And he tells me no. And then he goes, well, are you going to tell Rob? And I was like, no. And he goes, he's going to find out. This is his cousin. This is his family. I knew that if I tried to keep it from him and he tried to take me to court and I didn't try and like let him know it all, knowing full well that that Rob was the father, that like I could get in some deep shit. So I, I called him and blocked my number and everything and I told him just to tell him and he goes oh well now we gotta get married like fuck you like what the fuck is wrong with you and then I'm like freaking out and I just start to drive and I didn't know where I was going or what I was gonna do I just started driving and I end up on the street of the the house that that Rob occupied and um I'm just like parked outside I don't know what I'm gonna do and then I see a car pull into the driveway of the house and this young girl couldn't have been more than 25 years old gets out of the car and starts bounding towards the front door and I'm like oh shit like did he replace me like is she Is she his new victim? Like, he's going to hurt her. She needs to get out. I don't know what to do. So I call the police. What am I going to tell them? Then I remembered that he had mentioned that he had nine children um, and didn't pay his child support on any of them. And um, I was like, they could get him on being a deadbeat dad. Like, I know where he's at come get him so that's what I did I called the cops and I was like hey so there's this guy he doesn't pay his child support I know where he's at come and get him and the cop is like okay we'll we'll look into it thank you and I was like so you're gonna send somebody and they're like well not right now this isn't an emergency and I was like no you need to you need to send somebody and the dispatcher was like is there something else you want to tell me and I and I just like blurred out I was like th- he raped me he's got another girl and I think she's in trouble you need to send somebody now the dispatcher tells me that I need to go to the police department I had no intention of filing a police report mm-hmm. but when I got there they wanted my statement they wanted me to tell them everything and I I just, I wanted, I wanted that girl to be safe and I wanted my baby to be safe. Mm -hmm. So they put me in front of two male cops. It was more of, of an interrogation Mm. than taking my statement. I tell them about the hot tub incident and they're like, oh, well, did you say no? Did he have any reason to believe you didn't want it? And I was like, I didn't say yes. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, is it really fair to call it rape? If he stopped when you, when you told him to stop and he, he didn't get a no from you. And they're like, well, is it really fair to call it rape? If you just gave in.
0: So bizarre.
1: So uh, then it turns out that I was at the wrong police station. They Mm -hmm. wanted me. They, I was in the wrong district. So Because Rob's house was in one district, but all of the rapes occurred in a separate district. I had to file the report in that district. Got it. They tell me I have to go somewhere else. And I get in my car and I'm like, I don't want to go through this again. Why would you? Right. Like, then I remembered there's this other girl. There's a baby in my belly. I needed to protect everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I go over to the other police department. This one was better. He actually validated everything I said. But then he had to pass it on to the detective. So then the detective tells me, oh, well, it's this is kind of just a case of a he said, she said.
0: Yeah, same. I
1: (laughs) I was like, okay, And he goes, well, we could try and get him to admit to it doing a, a call. Let's call him. Yeah see if we can get him to admit to it didn't prepare me at all didn't tell me how to go about doing this whatever he said he was going to write some stuff on the board well rob answers the phone and i'm like i don't know what to freaking say yeah and so like i figured we'd continue on the last conversation that we had and i was like so you really want to be a part of this baby's life and i'm like waiting for the detective to finish (laughs) writing Like the slowest writer in the world. And Rob goes, yeah, that's, it's, it's my baby. And either you're going to marry me or I'm going to take the baby. And I was like, what makes you believe that you should have any rights to this child? And he goes, it's mine. And I was like, but you raped me. And he goes, fine. We'll have a judge decide who's a better parent and then hung up.
0: So they got that on, on, on recording
1: he didn't admit to it he said we'll let a judge decide who gets the baby never admitted to the rape and so the detective was like well i could go and try and talk to him so the investigation into everything consisted of the detective going to rob's mom's house asking if he was there she said no the detective hands her a card and says when you see him have him call me he never called so that was the end of the investigation classic yeah. So I, I mean, I called every day, then every week and monthly, then they, I, mean, it just got to the point where like, I realized that they're just not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. And so I, I decided I was just going to raise this baby and I was going to do it myself and everything was going to be fine. Like he knew about the baby. So I was, I was prepared to to go to court if I needed to or whatever, but I was not going to try and like initiate anything. so I have the baby and my son is 10 years old now mm-hmm. the love of my life. But the thing that people don't tell you about being a single parent, if I wanted government assistance, I needed to name my rapist. And I tried to do the whole, oh, I don't know who the father is, but because I made a police report and I admitted Mm -hmm. to the police that he was the father of my child, it was in the system. The government knew. And so every time I'd go to file for any kind of government assistance, just insurance for my child, they would have his name and I'd have to explain, I don't want his name on there. don't want it. And I'd have to explain why. And I'd have to like go through this whole like sobbing and telling them um, Mm -hmm. what happened. And my husband, my my now husband, who I met when when my son was 18 months old, um, became my son's dad, like best friends from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And um, when we got married, my husband wanted to adopt my son. Well, can adopt without terminating the rights first, mm. and Rob wouldn't agree to uh, signing over his rights. He didn't want to to use those rights. He didn't want to utilize them. He didn't want to see. My, didn't try to see my son. Didn't try to take me to court or anything. We ended up having to just like go to court. And originally, I thought it was going to be uncontested, so I didn't get a lawyer. I just tried to just do it ourselves. Yeah. I show up to court fully prepared to to just have this all done in one day. And um, they've got him on the phone. He's like, I didn't even know this baby existed. Like, There's a police recording of you admitting that you knew that this baby existed.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, basically, he just wanted to make it as hard as possible for me to to have this done. So then so so we end that court hearing and they tell me you're probably going to want to get a lawyer. And I was like, I can't afford a lawyer. And they're like, well, he gets a lawyer and you're not going to want to go up against a lawyer. And I was like, what do you mean he gets a lawyer? Turns out because I was infringing on his rights. (laughs) He gets a court appointed attorney. But because I was the one infringing on his rights, I had to pay for mine. And uh, that's when I wrote the book. I, well, I started writing the book originally just for me, just to get it all out, whatever. I started posting it chapter by chapter on Wattpad and realized that people were actually interested. Like I, I got to number one in nonfiction on Wattpad by chapter eight of my book and realized people are interested in this. I was like, maybe I could turn it into a real book. And so like, I finished it. I, I had submitted to several publishers and um, my case never got any kind of media coverage. Like it wasn't known. People wouldn't want to read about an unknown thing. I was like, screw it. I'll self publish myself. So I, I self published using Amazon's publishing thing. I did all this research and, 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 and everything said that self published authors, especially first time ones expect 250 copies in the lifetime of the book. Mm -hmm. Not in the first year, not in 10, like the lifetime of the book, 250 copies. And I'm like, that would still get me pretty close to a lawyer, you know? So I publish my book and then I start marketing it on TikTok. Mm -hmm. And, um, here we are, um, 14 ish months later. And, um, I've sold over 35,000 copies.
0: That's amazing.
1: (laughs) We, uh, we raised the money for the lawyer in the first month. Um,
0: (laughs) Holy shit.
1: Yeah. We, uh, we hired our lawyer in January. Um, we started going to our first hearing was in February. And of course Rob has his lawyer. And is trying to fight things, and um, they we ended up having like three more hearings because they kept asking for a continuance. Um, Yeah, right. And then finally, my lawyer was like, "Your Honor, we don't want a continuance. They have had plenty of opportunities. can Can we go ahead and just schedule a trial and the?" the judge was like, yeah, we'll do that. (laughs) All right, cool. Yeah. Rob didn't show up to any of the hearings. He didn't show up to the trial. His, his, his his lawyer was there for all of them, but he wasn't present for any of them. Like clearly he wasn't actually interested in like stopping his termination of rights. He just wanted to make it as hard as possible for me. So by the time we get to trial, like his lawyer, Was just done. He was like, I "I haven't heard. He was like, I haven't heard from my client in a month. (laughs) And uh, anytime the judge would address his lawyer, lawyers like. "Uh, Defense has has nothing. Yeah. Defense has no objection. Like he was just you could tell he was only there because he had to be. Um, He was he was just not not a happy lawyer. And so. The lawyer or the judge has 60 days to to make a determination when it comes to terminating parental rights. By the end of that trial, um, which trial, it was like an hour, <laughs> barely wow. lasted an hour. Yeah. Um, and l- talking to the social workers and, and his lawyer and everything like that, like the judge was like, he, he talked to my lawyer and he told my lawyer, if you send over the request, for the termination or whatever, like the actual paperwork. Um, I'll, I'll sign it before I leave the office today. So he had 60 days to make that decision. He made it right that like <laughs> within an hour. Um, yeah. It was, it was pretty quick. And then um, a week from tomorrow, we have our adoption hearing and my husband will finally be able to legally adopt.
0: Wow. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. Oh wow! And, and at this point, he's been in your life for, or your son's life for what, eight years or eight something. years?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's so, incredible. Yeah, and it's so sweet because my son adores my husband, and he asked for the adoption, and we asked Wesley, "Do you want to keep your last name, which is my maiden name, or do you want to be Stoddard?" And, uh, he goes oh, like you and daddy, like,
0: yeah.
1: do you want to be a Stoddard or do you want to stay with your current last name? And he goes, I want to be a Stoddard. And I'm like, yeah. okay, cool. The sweetest moment ever. And so, um, as of next week, he will have my husband's middle and last name.
0: What an absolutely lovely! Well, it's not the end of the story, but the current right. the current status of things yes. is, sounds like it couldn't be better. It's really cool to see the the way that you've transformed this into yeah. something that is you know not only beneficial for yourself and your family, but thirty five thousand people. Uh, yeah, you know, like that's that's a wild number.
1: Yeah, oh. it is. I, it's been a whirlwind. And I get emails all the time and messages on Instagram and, and TikTok and everything of people thanking me for telling my story. Um, because when people think of kidnapping, they think of a white van pulling up to you on the side of the street and, and grabbing you you know, mm. and then, and then tying you down in a basement somewhere. Yeah. Um, but that's not how most kidnappings are. And when people think of, of rape, they think that it's only the violent kind, or that if yeah. you gave in that it's not rape or it, like those cops, you know, mm-hmm. they think, Oh, well, if you just, if you just gave in or if you didn't fight hard enough. And so, so many people have reached out to me, because they felt invalidated. Right. In in their trauma and their experiences and they were like your book made me realize that that my my trauma is valid and it's an amazing thing because i i wrote this book for me to get it out, you know, mm-hmm. and then i published it for me to to help raise money. Yeah. And it and it turned into something so much bigger than that and it's I'm sure you know <laughs> what <Yeah>. it's like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sharing sure. your trauma turns into this. It's an amazing experience for sure.
0: It's a feeling unlike anything else. And I had no idea when I started doing stand-up about getting molested. I had no idea that, what the response was going to be. To this day, whenever I do the material, it's like people will just tell me strangers will come up to me after shows and be like hey i got molested too i got raped you know people will just start telling me like this wild stuff that's happened to them and it's especially on tiktok when you're able to reach crazy amounts of people with this content the the messages that that i get as well it's you know it's it makes it all feel very purposeful and uh like not worth it but it feels good too <laughs> <laughs> Into i'm so glad yeah. i'm so
1: glad that i went through something so traumatic no yeah
0: <laughs> absolutely but- it's it's uh it's a really fulfilling feeling yeah. and um and you're right you know molestation is the same way where people assume that it's like it, it's associated with stranger danger yeah. in the same way that white vans are associated with rape it's like you it's just like a lack of knowledge that, like most of the time, these things happen with people that know you, and oftentimes you're friends with. Whether it's a somebody that you work with or a family member, these issues are so much bigger than how people normally perceive it. And I think it's a lot of it is just like anti, like uh, people just don't have the understanding. And, you know, whether they're cops, I mean, cops of all people should, should know what the, <laughs> what the deal is, but, um, you know, people just that's in, in everyday life story, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. but like every, you know, people, people just don't know any better. And that's like why it's so great that you're able to use your story now to spread the word and like help validate people that felt invalid. Yes. And, you know, I, I felt the same way when I was going through the experience where it was like. You know, this was never painful for me. I never the molestation was it never hurt me. Mm-hmm. Uh it was it was like on the spectrum of molestation, it was like relatively it wasn't harmful physically. You know, I'm like, I'm not in pain. So like in my head, that's enough to invalidate it. So yeah. it's like we we have all of these things that we come up with when we're going through these experiences that cause us to think that we shouldn't speak up or that it's not a problem. I mean, part of it's a defense mechanism where it's like If this isn't a problem in my head, then it's not a real problem. And I don't need to worry about people finding out about this. And, you know, I'm I'm sure you experienced many similar feelings. It's uh, the survivor guilt and everyone who goes through things like this. It's like we all have different versions of it, but the feelings are very similar. And, you know, obviously our experiences are completely different. But like I know how you feel in many ways, like feeling trapped and because, you know, I, I kept going over to my friend's house for two years. I got yeah. molested and it was like I remember being like, well, how could I possibly speak up now? Because everyone's going to be like, what the, What were you doing for two years? And it's like, well, I just like my friend a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, what more do you want from me? I don't know what to do. So we uh, I, I think it's so important to get, cut ourselves some slack for not oh, for sure. responding how we wish we would have in the moment. Mm-hmm. And to recognize that, like, we did the best we could in the circumstances. And Absolutely. there's nothing to be gained from blaming ourselves and f- wishing things had been different. But there's so much to be gained from taking this experience and transforming it into, transforming it into something that benefits you and other people, yep. which I don't think either of us were aware of that this could be even done. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no. While it was and now it's like, wow, I, I, I feel very grateful to be able to have these connections with people um whether it's people reaching out on TikTok or a conversation with you like we just met and it's like oh well i know you now you know yep. oh <laughs> yeah no we're Thoma a bond yeah we're we're a, we're a
1: flock of fun
0: a flock of <laughs> fun yes of... yes exactly <laughs> if that's not what it's called it's what it should be
1: Totally. I'm going to, I'm going to start a petition on that. We start calling ourselves a (laughs) flock of fawns.
0: I wanted to ask you um, what advice would you give to somebody who has been through something similar and is hoping to get to the point that you're at now?
1: Realize and accept that it wasn't your fault and that your trauma is valid and what happened is valid and don't ever compare your trauma to somebody else's and try and use that as a way to invalidate how you feel. It doesn't matter what you went through or how bad it may seem to to other people or how not bad it happened to you. And that is your trauma. And that is something that is valid
0: it's so true absolutely it's like we we have a tendency to diminish our own experiences because other people had it worse and or or what what seems to be worse in our heads and that makes it feel like well why am i complaining i don't need to make a big deal about this like it almost feels like you're uh burdening other people or like diminishing what other people went through by being like i i had something happen to me too but yeah. they're like you know you you feel bad almost about it when in reality it's like the people that you're worried about in those situations would be so stoked to hear that there are other people that know what they've been through or or can relate on on yes. some level of feeling so i i yeah. think you're absolutely right that's great advice and um it feels like everyone experiences that to some degree of just like <laughs> you know, whether, whether it's the defense mechanism aspect and you're trying to minimize the impact that it had on you, or it's just like some sort of, uh, maybe it's like a fawning thing where you just want everybody else to be happy. And you're like, I don't want you to feel bad about me. You know, I don't want you to, I don't want to ruin your experience by talking about my own. It's like, you'll benefit more people than you will ever know just by being honest about what happened to you.
1: And it'll, it'll feel better for yourself as well. Like, when you stop minimizing it and accepting the fact that like this shit happened, you you take that and you, and you go to therapy and you do everything that you need to or whatever. The sooner that you can stop minimizing it, the sooner that you can get all of the help that you need to get past it. But so many people don't because of that whole, Oh, well, it was just this.
0: Yeah. That's it, what
1: it, it, is. <laughs> it 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 was only this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't have that happen. Like, yeah. then they're like, oh, well, it's not worth It's not worth talking to a it therapist. It's not worth getting the help. It's not worth. But it is. It absolutely yeah. is.
0: And we all feel that way. So it's like yes. the quicker we just get it out in the open and realize, oh, shit, exactly. I'm not alone in this. The, the quicker we can start healing. And, and I spent...
1: I spent 10 years feeling alone, Mm -hmm. you know, 10 years before I wrote my book. But as soon as I put it out there, as soon as I started telling my story, I stopped. I thought I was the only person in the entire world who had a baby from rape. But I now have at least 10 friends who have children from rape.
0: And And I never would have found a
1: and, and I, those were just the ones that I have, that I, I'm friends about. with.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and so it's not only healing for you, but it's healing for other people.
0: <laughs> Which also ends <sighs> up being healing for you in a way exactly. that you can't even comprehend. It's yes. like, holy shit. The The feeling you get when other people say that they're speaking up because of you is like, <laughs> I could talk about this all day, you know like yes. if that's what if that's what the reaction is gonna be right oh so, i uh I love it and um i'm I'm very grateful to have had you on the podcast today. I'm where... so grateful to
1: have been here
0: thank you <laughs> of course where can people uh buy your book and um where can they find you on social media?
1: Um so they can find my book on Amazon just look up In Plain Sight A True Story of Kidnapping and Rape by Anna D Stoddard um or you can buy a signed copy directly from me on my website at annadstoddard.com and um I have TikTok and Instagram both of which are anna.d.stoddard
0: and that's s t o d d a r d awesome Anna. thank you so much for taking the time to do this i'm so so happy for you for your current situation and uh good luck with uh with the adoption not that you need it it sounds like it's going to be great and (laughs) uh i i wish you and your family all the best and i look forward to speaking with you again soon
1: thank you same to you Sebastian.